Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. Jody Arias was on trial for the brutal murder of her boyfriend, Travis Alexander. The defendant shall be incarcerated in the Department of Corrections for the rest of her natural life with no possibility of parole. She was found guilty but sentenced to life in prison instead of the death penalty. That trial and what came after it changed Kirk Nurmi. Nurmi was the face of her defense, vilified online. When I was done with the Arias trial, I had serious questions about whether or not I wanted to practice law. Then he was diagnosed with cancer. When cancer entered my life and I began to contemplate my mortality, it became important to me to defend myself, and I feel that that's what I did in my book. The book, Trapped with Ms. Arias, was a tell-all. Nurmi wrote about what it was like to deal with Arias as a client, her demands, and he wrote the lies that she and her family were willing to tell. She loved him. She loved him to death. I'm talking about none other than Jody Arias. And her lover turned murder victim, Travis Alexander. I still to this day have the button that Travis Alexander's family would wear to court every day or try to that they gave me. But it's not over yet. Believe it or not, even after Jody Arias is convicted of murdering her lover, stabbing him 26 times, leaving his dead body slumped over in the shower, shooting him in the head. I remember the shocking scenario that was proven by physical evidence, unrefuted, that he was standing at his bathroom mirror and blood was dripping down and he saw himself dying. I remember it like it was yesterday. For me, it's a memory. For his family, it's never-ending pain. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. And joining me, a very special guest, Kirk Nurmi, Jody Arias's lawyer at trial who tried to save her. But right now, he's ready to take on Jody Arias, convicted killer, in an explosive court battle. But why? Also with me, high-profile L.A. psychoanalyst Dr. Bethany Marshall and, of course, Alan Duke joining me from L.A. as well. Straight out to Kirk Nurmi. Kirk Nurmi, I watched you every single day of the trial. Every day I would wonder, what trick is he going to pull out of his sleeve now? And I would watch your face when Arius would do one thing after the next, like giving jailhouse interviews, which would turn into fodder for a potential jury pool to see. And it was just one thing after the next, after the shooting a bird at me during court. Just, just one antic after the next as if you didn't already have enough to deal with. Explain to me your current lawsuit. Well, Nancy, uh, you know, as is Miss Arias' habit, when uh, men uh, in her life uh, scorn her, and ultimately to her thinking we all scorn her, she lashes out. And um, it is not surprising to me then uh, that Miss Arias is choosing to sue me claiming that I breached our confidentiality that uh, to my thinking she waived by the numerous interviews she gave and the numerous public filings uh, that she offered to the world 
Uh, and I write in my book about how in April 2014 or 2011, rather, uh, that she made some threats to me to follow her dictates or she would uh, do what she could to ruin my career. And this is merely uh, evidence of that to slander my name. Well, wait a minute. Why would she why would she, Kurt Nurmi, want to ruin your career? You tried to save her at trial. Well, the thing is, though, and, and that's ultimately a question for her and maybe for for Bethany to uh, analyze Miss Arias. But um, keep in mind, uh, Miss Arias is in prison for life and she's probably not happy about that, despite her the conduct that landed her there. Joining me right now, Alexis Terezchuk, investigative reporter and journalist for RadarOnline.com. Alexis, you and I covered the Arias murder trial together as well as the death penalty phase. For those who don't know about Jody Arias and her murder conviction, please explain what happened to Travis Alexander when he tried to break up with her. She plotted his murder, lured him in, you know, went down to his house in Arizona, but but it took her four days to get there. She stopped along the way to buy a bunch of things that she was going to use where she ended up slaughtering him. She attacked him while he was in the shower. Wait a minute, though. Alexis, hold on. Hold on. You're skipping some good stuff. Because when she travels, you know, I I don't know how many hundreds of miles to go murder him, she did not want to leave a trail. So she filled up gas cans, according to the prosecution, and put them in her trunk so she would not have to stop and be spotted on gas station surveillance video. She would not have to use a credit card. There would be no trace left behind. So she filled up gas cans, stuck them in her car, so she would not be spotted en route on this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles trip to get to Travis Alexander. Now, I don't recall that he knew she was coming. What happened Alexis Terezchuk. She showed up at his house in the middle of the night, about four o'clock in the morning. They'd had a couple of phone calls. She had called him repeatedly, but once she entered the area near his house, she turned off her phone and did not turn it back on until hours after she murdered him to hide the fact that she was even at his house. She was very devious. She knew exactly what to do. She took Try to cover her tracks. So she goes into the home. And Kirk Nurmi, I'm not asking you fact questions because you may be uncomfortable ask, answering them. With me is Kirk Nurmi, Jody Arias's trial lawyer. He is the author of a book. It's a pretty incredible book, Trapped with Miss Arias. She seemingly has taken umbrage with many passages within his book trapped with miss arias in the lawsuit in her lawsuit kirk her lawsuit jody arias is suing somebody well i I don't understand exactly the reason she is suing could you break it down and regular people talk and tell me kirk nermy well like i say you know that's ultimately a question for her but but Vengeance against men who do Jody wrong is something that is, again, um, quite common, quite consistent with her pattern. And it's not surprising to me that she is attacking me now, blaming me, in essence, for her uh, conviction and her the fact that she's spending life in prison. That's, to me, what this is about. To Dr. Bethany Marshall, 
uh, psychoanalyst joining me out of L.A. Dr. Bethany, I went to Jody Arias' prison. I saw where she was held. I talked to the female inmates. I ate the veggie loaf, the mystery meat loaf. Uh, it wasn't bad, by the way. Um, to try to understand more about Jody Arias. Because when you look at her, Bethany, many people believe she's beautiful. I, I don't. Because I look at her and I see a killer. And, I mean, that's the number one commandment. Thou shalt not kill. But behind bars, she's somewhat of a celebrity. She gets hundreds of love letters. People put money in her commissary account. She, quote, draws, end quote. In other words, traces other drawings and then sells them. It's quite the life. Quite the life, Dr. Bethany. Explain how is she still manipulating people from <laughs> well, behind bars? she's highly manipulative. You know, I was thinking about borderline personality disorder as you were talking to Kirk and, and Alexis. You know, she definitely has borderline personality disorder. And I, I actually was looking it up in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And what one of the characteristics is intense, unstable, and conflicted close relationships marked by mistrust, neediness, and anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment. Close relationships often viewed in extremes of idealization and devaluation, alternating between over-involvement and withdrawal. And I can see that in her relationship with Travis Alexander, that it started with the idealization and then it went through to the devaluation. The idealization is when he was dating her, right? When they were together, when they were going out. And then do you remember that she found out that he was planning a vacation with another woman? Then it went from the idealization to the devaluation. And that's when she started to plot her revenge. You know, not only was she preoccupied with killing him, but she was absolutely obsessed with him. And I think that Jody Arias idealizes and devalues every man in her life. And I'm sure Kirk Nurmi is no different than any other man who's crossed her path, that she thought that he was a god when he was defending her. But now that she's behind bars and she hasn't gotten exactly what she wants, she's going to start to plot and plan her revenge against Kirk as well. It's no different. Her attachment style is the same with every single man in her life. Fortunately, she's behind bars, so she can't really do anything to Kirk, but um, she's trying to do everything she can. Kirk Nurmi, uh, Jody Arias' trial lawyer, with us now. Kirk, what are her allegations against you specifically? Well, there's numerous, and they all she, – she claims that I, some of the things that I said in the book were not true, and she claims that they are uh, violations of attorney-client privilege, and there's numerous allegations. Uh, that she makes, and it's been a while since I've read the complaint, because quite frankly, uh, I don't let Jody Arias uh, sink into my world, sink into my life. I look forward, though, to defending each and every one in court. Nancy. As a matter of fact, after the trial, you were diagnosed with cancer, and you firmly believe it is connected to Jody Arias. I do. Um Keep in mind that, uh, you know, this was a client that I did not want, that I tried to divest myself from back in 2011 and was not able to do so until the spring of 2015. 
And I believe the stress of it all, everything involved, um, trying to keep her off death row, uh, did lead to cancer infesting my body in that a few months later. You know, the trial of Jody Arias and the murder of Travis Alexander just captivated the whole country. Everyone was watching the trial. It's had everything people want to see, I guess, violence, death, sex, scandal. But there were so many aspects of it that went so much deeper. For instance, to Alexis Terezchuk, Alexis, the fact that they were part of the Mormon religion seemed to... uh, it was like a curiosity to so many people. Why is that? I think it's because the Mormon religion is not as familiar to people across the country as as other religions, Christianity. And so people tend to have, have thought of it as a cult. And so they saw that this there was this, what many people call, you know, a ritualistic murder, which it wasn't. It was just Jody going crazy and murdering somebody. And, and they tied it into this church. But also because there were visual images of it. When Jody met Travis. He was a very well-respected member of the church, and he brought her into the church, and she was baptized and became a member of the church. So there was a photograph of her baptism. And so when people have visual images of things they can see, it makes it so much more compelling. And then she dragged in the fact that after she got baptized, I think she said that she and Travis had sex. I'm not sure what kind of sex I'm allowed to say on your show. So let's just say not the regular sex. And in some states, it's still considered sodomy. Go ahead. (laughs) So, so it just made it so much more salacious. And Travis was such an upstanding member of this church and people loved him. And he, he was such a good person. And so she joined the church only because of him. And in fact, after she was convicted, church kicked her out, excommunicated her, said they did not want her in. You know, another thing that is always interesting to me, Dr. Bethany Marshall, and I don't know what it means, is she immediately gave all of his friends the skeeve. They were all creeped out by Jody Arias. I mean, even when they first met her, they're like, man, get rid of her. Why? What was it about her? It was just an Mm -hmm. instinct. They all hated her. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I keep thinking about borderline personality disorder. She had a severe personality disorder, Nancy. And most women who kill do have borderline personality disorder. And one of the things you notice with borderlines is that when you meet them, they're intensely idealizing, like I was talking about. They they treat you like you're so special. They put you on a pedestal. And they're kind of strangely flirtatious with everybody. It, it, the flirtation is a type of manipulation. They're trying to be at the center of everybody's universe. Men, women, everybody in their path. And so I think everybody sensed this. And the fact that you were were asking about the Mormon religion, the Mormon faith, um, Travis Alexander was a very good person, and he was beloved by his roommates and his church. And there's really this contrast between good and evil. You know, there's this Mormon community, and then there's this woman who inserts herself into his life, ingratiates herself. It's like the fox got into the hen house somehow, don't you think? Um, you know, and the other thing about scheming people out, I remember some photograph where 
she was sitting with him and his friends, and I think she either had her feet on his lap or his her head on his lap, but it had a sort of a strange sexual quality. So here's this benign gathering of friends, and she's act, acting kind of sexual in front of all of them. And I'm sure she did that continuously, and they thought that was really weird. Let me pause and thank our partners that are making our program possible today as we investigate behind bars Jody Arias, convicted killer's life, and her lawsuit because the convicted killer Jody Arias is now targeting the man who once stood by her side that many credit with saving her from the death penalty. She was on trial for her lover's death, and now she has told the world that she is out for blood again, but this time on her own lawyer. Kirk Nurmi is with us, and let me thank our partner for making this possible. It is linkakc.com. Guys, you know how much I love our family dog, Fat Boy, a.k.a. Nitro. I'm always looking for new things to try with him, whether it's food, fun chew toy, a treat, or now an amazing new collar, and it's called Link AKC. It's so much more than a collar. It's backed by the American Kennel Club. The Link AKC collar is a GPS locator, a fitness tracker, and a smartphone app all rolled into one. I like the GPS locator because I know where Fat Boy is all the time. I don't have to worry. Has he jumped over the fence? Is he running down the street? Has he been run over? Has somebody interested in stealing a mutt taken the little guy? It's total peace of mind. I can see exactly where Fat Boy is right on the app. Favorite part? Activity and wellness tracker. Yes, for a dog. Doesn't matter how old your dog is, whether it's a purebred, mixed, or a mutt like mine. Link AKC shows the exact amount of activity every dog needs. And it's easy to set up. Their sizes for every dog and super comfy. Link AKC looks great on Fat Boy. You can see him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep your dog safe, happy, and healthy. It's easier now with a special offer from Link AKC. Go to LinkAKC.com, use code NANCY to save 30% off your order with free shipping. Code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, save 30% on your order. That's a lot. Plus free shipping at LinkAKC.com. LinkAKC.com, code NANCY. To Kirk Nurmi, Jody Arias, former lawyer that many credit with saving her from the death penalty, your book, Trapped with Miss Arias, Trapped with Jody Arias, um, made a lot of waves. What is the single thing in there that apparently has made convicted killer Jody Arias the most angry? Well, again, that might be a question for her, but she seems to take umbrage with the fact that, uh, you know, back in, say, 2011, um, she characterized me, to my thinking, as her boyfriend. Um, it was something that is well, not— Wait, 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 wait. How'd your wife feel about that? Well, well, jo- what, what goes on in Jody's head isn't necessarily in um, consistent with reality, and that was her view of me, not my view of her or anyone else's view of the entire situation, but it was Jody. And that's how I believe it was. And and Bethany talked about the I'm not a psychologist, but Bethany talked about that idealization and then that um, component of detachment and devaluing. And um, I think that's kind of consistent 
with what I said in the book in terms of how she treated me. Because remember, in 2011, uh, she begged through the force of two lawyers and, and what have you to say, Kirk needs to be on my case. He needs to be my lawyer. And now this. How surprised were you when you found out that she was actually suing you? Not at all, because, you know, I, I said the other day, you know, if I'm the world's leading expert on anything, it's Jody Arias. And this sort of action, this sort of vengeance on her part is not unsurprising to me at all. It is consistent with a pattern of men in her life. And unfortunately, um, you know, Mr. Alexander suffered uh, the most in that regard. Now, another thing that she claims is um, that you, Kirk Nurmi, had a, quote, unprofessional and prurient interest in the sex nature of her case. Well, I mean, her case was all about sex. Every kind of sex you can think of. Sex toys, sex aids, semi-public sex, sex in the woods, blah, blah, blah. In fact, the day of Travis Alexander's murder, she shows up, and they have a set, uh, a marathon day of sex all day. And at the end of it, she finds out he's still going to, I think it was Cancun with another woman that he had already invited to go on a trip with him. And instead of packing her bag and huffing out, like most people would do, and never caught talking to him again, he ends up dead. Shot 29 times, uh, stabbed 29 times, and shot with a gun, slumped over, and left to rot in his shower stall. That's what happened. So, Kirk, are you surprised that she, behind bars, is telling people that you had a, quote, prurient interest in her sex life? I mean, when you try to handle the case, you can't help but hear about her sex life. That's exactly right, and it doesn't surprise me. It's just a mechanism for her to attack me and try to embarrass me, and we've seen that uh, habit, if you will, with uh, others, other men in her life as well, right? We consistently see that throughout her life. Bethany, um, you know, did a good job, I think, of, of stating some of the realities that we see with Miss Arias. Guys, I am talking to Kirk Nurmi, the trial lawyer for Jody Arias, now behind bars for the murder, the brutal murder of Travis Alexander with me. Alexis Terezchuk, investigative reporter for RadarOnline.com, Dr. Bethany Marshall, L.A. psychoanalyst, and Alan Duke also joining me. To you, Alexis Therese, Chuck, when you look back on the evidence at trial, was there any way to separate Jody Arias from sex? That seemed to be her hold on Travis. Not only was it her hold on Travis, it was everything in her life. The entire trial was she left home early. She moved in with a boyfriend. She lived with him for a little while. She moved out. She moved in with the next boyfriend. Everything in her life was about sex, including, she, which I had said earlier, the very first time she gets baptized, she and Travis have sex after it. The recordings that she said were you show that Travis was obsessed with sex were her talking about how much she wanted him to tie her up and tie her to a tree. And she said, oh, it's so debasing. I like it. Her, their, her entire relationship with Travis was based on sex. And when he decided he didn't want to have it with her anymore because she was crazy, that's when she decided to kill him. You know, I left out the phone sex uh, and the photos. Oh, yeah. Speaking of photos, Dr. Bethany Marshall, a major part of the trial, I thought, was when a digital camera was discovered and it was full of shots, sex shots, including Arius Naked, 
And they were taken just before he's killed, like in the hours before his death. Do you recall that? Nancy, I do. I was actually just about to mention that, that she photographed everything. So the marathon sex session, just before she stabbed him 29 times, she continually photographed both of them throughout that day. She had many, many pictures of the two of them having sex. And Alexis was describing beautifully this history of sexualization of all of her relationships. And what women with borderline personality do is they have what we call in my field merger fantasies. They want to be one with their love objects. They want to reduce the distance between them and the other person. And then they use sex to manipulate. They they use sex to create some kind of excitement to hold on to the other person. So sex becomes the glue that holds the relationship together. And so, so you have the idealization and then the devaluation that I talked about, but you also have clinging and then rejecting behavior. This is the hallmark of personality disorders, that when they meet somebody, they want to have sex right away. They want to marry that person right away. They want to move in. They, that person becomes their whole life. And the minute they feel the tiniest, littlest, eensy-beensiest little bit of rejection, then they move in for the kill. That is the hallmark of a personality disorder, is clinging, merging, and then at the first sign of rejection, moving in to destroy and attack the love object. If you just, if you understand nothing else about personality disorders, if you just hold on to that, it really tells you a lot about human nature. And for your listeners who are listening into this show, people who are dating, when you meet somebody who wants to just move in on you right away, wants to have sex right away, wants to marry you, I mean, all of a sudden they put you on a pedestal and you are their whole entire world, you're going to get knocked off that pedestal in a very rude way because the idealization always leads to devaluation. They're, they're, they're opposite sides of the same coin in, in terms of how these people attach. Take a listen to what the jury heard. Would you agree that you're the person who actually slit Mr. Alexander's throat from ear to ear? Yes. Would you also agree that you're the individual that stabbed him in the upper torso. Yes. And you're doing all of this to, in the, according to your version of events, you're doing to this to this individual after you have already shot him, right? Yes. Correct? I believe so. Well, no. Do you remember previously talking to us about how he was coming at you and he was this horrible man with his mean face? Do you remember telling me that? Yes, I didn't say he was horrible. Okay. Thank you for correcting me, but do you remember telling us that he was a mean man? Not today. Well, Not previously, today. previously you did say that he was a mean man, correct? I think I did, yes. And on this particular occasion, you told us that he was cursing at you, right? Yes. And that he threw you down, right? Yes. That he chased you down, right? Yes. And this is the individual that you shot first, right? I didn't know if I shot him. I just really had it off. The gun went off, right? You can at least acknowledge that. Yes. Right? That's something that you did here, correct? Yes. 
With me is Kirk Nurmi, the trial lawyer for now infamous killer Jody Arias, who is simmering behind bars, drawing her, quote, art, reading her love letters, reading books, chillaxing, and watching cable TV. Kirk Nurmi, how did you keep a straight face when the jury saw pictures of your client buck naked on Travis Alexander's bed in the hours right before he was murdered? Well, it, it was evidence, you know, and this is in the courtroom is a bit of a theater and you present evidence. We talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the sexual aspects of this case. Um, there was it was saturated. It was just another piece of evidence. And unlike Miss Arias's claims, I had no obsession with it. It was evidence like any other. Joining me, Dr. Bethany Marshall, L.A. psychoanalyst, Alexis Terezchuk, RadarOnline.com, and Kirk Nurmi, Jody Arias trial lawyer, who many credit with saving her from death row. It's legal war. Kirk Nurmi, her former lawyer, ready to go to court to fight Jody Arias in an exploding court battle. So, Kirk Nurmi, explain to me what you hope to gain out of going to court. Well, I hope to gain uh, the opportunity, I guess, to let people know what I really think and what I really feel. I think a lot of people, and this is part of the reason I wrote Trappist Miss Arias, is a lot of people felt like I supported her, like I believed her story, like I was a fan of Miss Arias, what have you because they saw that visualization in court. When the reality was, I didn't get to pick my client. I was there to do a job. I had a job to do. I stood up to the world to save her life. I stood up to cancer to save mine. And now I'm more than willing to stand up to Miss Arias to make sure the world understands what I truly feel. I've got a question for you, Kirk Nurmi. I would never have known that you felt this way during the trial. Explain to those listening now how you tried to get off the case, what you did to try to get out of representing Jody Arias, and how you how you steeled yourself to go in there and fight the good fight for her. You know, in two thousand or two thousand nine, when I was assigned the case, Nancy, I was working at the public defender's office and didn't have a choice in who my client was, and really didn't know anything about her. Um, and in, by the time 2011 rolled around, I was ready to leave the public defender's office, ready to leave death penalty work. And that is when I intended to leave Miss Arias behind. She objected to that, and there was a series of litigation that ended in April of 2011, um, where my motions to withdraw were denied. Uh, that happened again in 2000. In that fall, I was uh, when the public defender's office was allowed to withdraw. I moved to withdraw myself again. There was a plethora of motions to withdraw that were all denied. Once that happened, ultimately, then you ask how I could do what I had to do. It's because I was ordered by the court to do it. And as a defense attorney, I believe in the Constitution, in the Sixth Amendment, and that every person, even Miss Arias, has a right to a fair trial and a vigorous defense. And on a personal level, beyond that, um, I'm, I am a person who does not believe in the death penalty. So uh, goal number one of a death penalty attorney being saving the client's life was certainly something that, on a personal level, I felt uh, compelled to do. With me is Kirk Nurmi, high-profile lawyer that represented Jody Arias 
at trial. Dr. Bethany Marshall, L.A. psychoanalyst. Dr. Bethany, I guarantee you that Jody Arias, to this day, thinks that she's the victim behind bars. Absolutely, she does. And when Kirk Nurmi was saying that his motion to withdraw was denied, uh, Travis Alexander's motion to withdraw was denied, too. No man is allowed to withdraw from Jody Arias's life. And um, I keep going back to the idea of borderline personality disorder. Women with this disorder are very paranoid. They do not see themselves as the architect or the generator of their own experience. They think that everybody else is out to get them. They feel wronged by society. And I wouldn't be surprised if this action against Kirk Nurmi not only does it parallel her actions against Travis Alexander, but it generates excitement in her life. She gets to get away from the jail. She gets to be in the limelight. She gets attention all over again. And this is what Jodi Arias is all about. She's about herself. She's about being in the limelight. And this, and one more time, it's at another man's expense. To Alexis Tereschuk, RadarOnline.com, Dr. Bethany Marshall, and Kirk Nurmi, author of Trapped with Miss Arias, Jody Arias. Kirk, I wish you the very, very best. Thank you, Nancy. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. As always. And you know, another thing, Kirk, I just really admire your fight against cancer. And I do, too. God bless you. God bless you and stay strong, friend. Thank you. It, it it really came it really came at a tough a tough time after all that, you know, and to think there were moments when I thought, Do I really want to engage in this fight? What's the point? What has my life become? And um I'm glad I did. I'm glad I'm in a new place. But yeah, it was it was a real struggle because again, um how this trial affected my life is, is just um immeasurable, I guess, and how it almost destroyed my life. How did it destroy your life? How did it affect you? Well, I, I think more than anything, apart from, you know, my belief that, that cancer came into my life, I think it took my identity. Um, I think that when, throughout the course of the trial, and even now, uh, when I go somewhere and I say my name is, it's whatever, it's store, whatever it is, um, there's a fear that People will associate me with her and associate that uh, that correlation that I talked about earlier. That um, that they think that I believe in her and what she did and the righteousness of what she did or what have you. That that association. I've I said in a recent interview that when I die, if it's covered on the news, it'll be because I it'll be because I was Jody Aries's lawyer. I could cure cancer, and my legacy would probably be as Ms. Aries's lawyer. So yes, it's impacted me a great deal. You know, Kirk Nurmi, that's not how I see you at all. And I'm very privileged to count you as a friend and colleague. And I want to thank you for being with me and all of us listening now. Kirk Nurmi, author of Trapped with Miss Arias. It's available on Amazon.com. Thank you, friend. Thank you, Nancy. I want to thank our partner making today's program possible, making it possible for you to join us today. It's LegalZoom. And all you business owners know how important it is to keep moving forward. But so many times, issues pop up to take your time and focus away from growing your business. When it comes to things like reviewing contracts, registering trademarks, staying current on fees and permits, 
contracts, hiring issues. LegalZoom.com simplifies your life. It was created 16 years ago by the very brightest minds in law and technology. And like I always say, when you don't know a horse, look at his track record. LegalZoom's already helped over 2 million business owners easily, affordably navigate the legal system with confidence because you know what? You don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. and think, oh, my stars, billable hours stacking up behind my back by your law firm. LegalZoom is not a law firm. Instead, you get the advice you need to answer your business questions at fixed rates through LegalZoom's nationwide network of independent lawyers. Take pressure off yourself. Go to LegalZoom.com now. Take care of business before the year winds down. Special savings. Enter code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, at the referral box at checkout. Code NANCY equals special savings. Only at LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom, thank you for what you do for American business owners. And thank you for being our partner today. And now we travel to North Carolina and the very latest. And the story of a missing girl that we covered Just a beautiful, beautiful girl, Ashanti Billy, a teen girl of 19. She disappeared in September en route to work at a sandwich shop on Joint Expeditionary Base Little Creek Fort Story in Norfolk, Virginia. Take a listen to Ashanti Billy's mother when Ashanti goes missing. (laughs) Everyone, please. I'm begging of everybody. Please pray for my baby. Please. Please pray for Ashanti Billy, my daughter, my baby. She's my everything. Please pray for her. Bring my baby home today. Everyone, please share. Anyone you know, just help me bring my baby Ashanti home. How did this girl, with her whole life in front of her, disappear? Then we find out, hundreds of miles away, her body is found near a church. Right now, a crack in the case. Joining me, Bobby Maxwell, Crime Stories. Big crack in reporter. the case. What happened? Yes, Nancy, a lot on 45-year-old Eric Brown, who actually, they did a lot of investigative work on this. And finally, almost two months later, they've come up with so much. There was DNA from him on Ashanti Billy um, and the clothing and such. And also, um, the place where she was found was 300 yards from his childhood home. Uh, He had cell phone data, doing internet searches of the crime, even before Ashanti's body was found. And apparently, he was homeless, even though he was a retired 21-year-old Navy vet. He spent a lot of time at that naval base, including multiple times in the uh, Blimpy sub shop where Ashanti worked. Straight out to Cheryl McCollum, director of the Cold Case Institute, crime scene expert. Cheryl McCollum, when you and I first started covering Ashanti Billy's case, this is so close to what you were saying. Analyze what we know now, Cheryl McCollum. Well, again, Nancy, we all talked about it that day, but that church was very critical to me because where somebody chooses to dump a body tells a lot about the perpetrator and that particular church being, you know, so many hundreds of miles away from where she was kidnapped told me that he absolutely knew that area and knew that place. And of course we know now 
that not only was it, you know, 300 yards from his childhood home, that he actually went to vacation Bible school. Well, I mean, you can look, and I'll give you anecdotal examples of what you know statistically. I mean, look at Tot Mom, Casey Anthony. Kelly's body was found wrapped in trash bags like she was trash and thrown into a swampy wooded area which was right behind the elementary school where Top Mom went. In fact, where the body was was a spot where she and her friends would hang out and smoke sure. when they were Absolutely. kids and hide out. I mean, look at Scott Peterson. Yep. Lacey Peterson's body was found it washed up at San Francisco Bay. He was fishing there. That was one of his fishing holes. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, look at Gacy. He hid bodies in the crawl space of his home. So what, what you're saying and what I'm trying to say is, it's very significant where a body is found. Yes. It is, it's human nature. They want to be somewhere that they are comfortable. They're going to spend a little bit of time there. So they want to be sure that they're not going to be seen. They know the way to get in. They know the way to get out. They know that nobody's going to be around there. They picked it deliberately. So, again, it gives you insight to that person. A 45-year-old Navy veteran now being held in the brutal murder of a young girl, Ashanti Billy. Cheryl McCollum, what do you make of him, the alleged perp? Well, I mean, he clearly was stalking her. He knew her. He went there every day. Um, He engaged with her conversation. He was inappropriate with her, so he probably was fixated on her. And he made his mind up that he was going to have her one way or the other. And the only way that he could have her was to kidnap her and force himself on her, which it appears is exactly what he did. We know her pants were in the car and they had mud on them. So that would tell me that he disrobed her at the scene and took the pants with him, which would not be unusual. Um, They haven't told us the manner of death that I know so far, but I do know that they said that she was basically battered. Again, a lot of rage from him. Um, He lived on and off that base at different buildings. So, yes, he was homeless, but he certainly knew his way around there. He's admitted to being there the day that she went missing. But, of course, claims he blacked out and didn't know whether or not he hurt her, which is not going to be an excuse that holds up in any way. To Dr. Bethany Marshall, L.A. psychoanalyst, Dr. Bethany, give me, shrink it. Tell me what you think of this um, psychologically. Well, I agree with everything Cheryl said. She described it so beautifully. What I can add is the fact that he was homeless means he's very low functioning, maybe even mentally ill. Um, So he might have killed her because he didn't know what else to do with her. And the fact that her body was so badly battered when she tried to resist his sexual advances, he probably mistook it as rejection and flew into a rage and battered her. And then once he battered her so badly, he didn't know what else to do. So then he killed her. I agree with Cheryl McCollum. He went to a place that was very familiar to him, the back of the church where he went to vacation Bible school, but also it's near where his mother lives. And these criminals, they, they, they dump the body. The dump site is usually a familiar place, but it's often a place where they grew up and they were nurtured by their own mothers. You know, when criminals get out of jail, or when they when they um, escape jail, you know how they always go back to where their mothers are? They have this strange fixation that that's where they want to be. I think, obviously, he was stalking her. Uh, according to one customer at the Blimpy Subway shop, 
shop. He had made some crude sexual comments to her. And we know that men who stalk, um, they become preoccupied with the victim. But not only are they preoccupied with gaining proximity to the victim, they're preoccupied with the idea that they've been rejected by the victim. That's why they punished the victim. So he was both admiring and desirous of getting close to her and having sex with her, but he was enraged at her for having rejected him. And I think that's really the motivation behind this crime. Again, here is Ashanti Billy's mom just after her daughter's body was found. Hi, my name is Brandy Billy. I'm the mom of Ashanti Markela Billy. As many of you know, we were searching for our daughter because she was missing since September 18th. I'm sure most of you have already heard that her body was located in Charlotte, North Carolina. I just want to say thank you to everyone that helped us spread the word that she was missing, everyone that had a tip, everyone that shared and posted, sent their prayers, just thank you. That meant a lot to us as we were searching for her, to her father and I and her loved ones. Thank you for all the community support we received in the Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Norfolk area. Even to our family and friends in the DMV, where we're from, thank you. Those far and wide across the country, thank you. Ashanti's life was taken from her, but her spirit wasn't taken from us at all. We're going to continue to live the life that she would have wanted us to live, as well as spreading her legacy as we move forward. Our plan is to set up a scholarship in her name with the Art Institute of Virginia Beach for Culinary Arts. We'll also be forming a nonprofit organization to help other families of missing loved ones, to provide guidance for them, help and assistance for them to bring their loved ones home. There has to be something for adults when they go missing. You have alerts for 18 and under. You have alerts for 65 and older. What we don't have is something for anyone in the middle. I wholeheartedly believe that had there been some type of alert that was able to be put out for her, she may have been coming home with us of her own free will. But she's still coming home with us. We're taking our baby home where she can rest in peace with her loved ones. So again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you all and bless you all. Thank you for your prayers. They meant the world to her father and I, to her family, her friends, and her loved ones. So just please continue to use social media in a positive way because that's what we majority of everything we saw was positive, so thank you. We love you and Ashanti loves you. Thank you. To Bobby Maxwell, Crime Stories investigative reporter, Bobby, how do authorities believe the murder took place? Well, they believe that he actually was in that area of the Blimpy shop, and they saw her car circling the restaurant when she was going to work that morning. And then um, sometime between her going to that workplace and 30 minutes when they saw the car leaving, um, Eric Brown uh, abducted her and left the base. That's where they're trying to fill in the holes. You know, Cheryl McCollum, when I was in law school, trying to put myself through law school with, I, I think at one time I was working three jobs. One was at a sandwich shop. And I remember being there at night all by myself in a strip mall 
um, you know, just sitting there studying my law books, waiting for a customer to come in. And, you know, you look back on it, Cheryl, and it's so stupid. But yet, it's still happening. Every day, a single person alone, like in a blimpy or where I was, Zed Sandwich Shop. It just, it, oh. and it was, she was just, you know, like easy pickings for this guy. She was easy pickings, but I'll tell you something else. She probably also felt very comfortable being on a military base, and she knew him. So, Nancy, even though he had been inappropriate, even though he was homeless, she saw him every day. So even though she might have thought, well, he's a little crazy or he's homeless or whatever, she thought he was probably harmless for the most part because there was familiarity with him. Right now, our prayers and thoughts with Ashanti Billy's family. To Bobby Maxwell, Cheryl McCollum, and Dr. Bethany Marshall, thank you. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. <laughs>